0: Hebrews chapter 3 I especially point out verse 3 for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses more glory than Moses. Now the aim of the epistle to the Hebrews is to set forth to us how vital how important How indispensable Jesus Christ is in the matter of our salvation. We, everyone, need a great salvation. This epistle speaks about that great salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect it? And the only one who is up to the task of that great salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this epistle is... Bringing that to the fore. Christ and Christ alone. And the apostle is setting before us. The superiority of Jesus. In this business of salvation. He alone is mighty to save. There's no one else. And Paul is showing this superiority of Christ. In many different ways. One of the ways in which he does it. Is to. Introduce us to his different names. He tells us he's the son of God. He tells us he's the first begotten. He calls him God. And Lord. He's introduced us to those glorious names. That no other man ever had. And he belongs to the category of the divine. Not a mere man. Because of these names. Superior. In his names. And another way to show his greatness. Is to describe his works. And he mentions several of those in the early chapters. The work of creation. The work of upholding all things by the word of his power. The work of providence. And then the work of incarnation. Taking to himself a human nature. Being made flesh and dwelling among us. The work of reconciliation and making atonement, the work of taking hold of Abraham's seed and bringing them to glory. All of these marvelous works such as no mere man can do but the Lord only. So he introduces us to these mighty works. And then a third way that the apostle makes large use of To show the superiority of Christ. Is by way of comparison and contrast. He's always comparing Christ to others. He's greater than the prophets. We saw that in the early verses of chapter 1. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Adam. Who we meet in the exposition of Psalm 8. He's greater than Satan because he destroys Satan who has the power of death. He's greater than Abraham because he takes hold of Abraham's whole seed and saves them by his grace. He's greater than Aaron because he is our great high priest. And there's even a hint that he's greater than the apostles for he is the apostle of our profession Christ Jesus there's no one who stands superior to him no matter who you compare him to and he stands out the tallest above everyone and now in this chapter he comes to a new contrast he's greater than Moses verse 3 more glory than Moses and so that's where we are tonight The Jews greatly revered Moses. To them he was the great prophet and the greatest prophet. They didn't just say the prophets. They said Moses and the prophets. As if he stood out in a league on his own. A category that was different altogether. Even as God said, I speak to him face to face. All the other prophets, I'll give them visions, speak to them in other ways. But my servant Moses is not so. He was the greatest prophet. He received the oracles of God right from the hand of God. God wrote them out himself and he he gave them to Moses. The Jews found it very hard to let Moses be dwarfed and put into the background. It was very hard for them to accept Jesus of Nazareth. This despised man who died on the cursed tree. Very hard to put him above Moses. The law was given by Moses. They would always say, Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And so they often reviled Jesus. You remember how the blind man who was healed, and they interrogated him and tried to get answers out of him, and they finally said to him, Thou art his disciple. You're the disciple of Jesus. We are Moses' disciple." They would not let Jesus replace Moses. We know that God spake unto Moses. But as for this fellow. We know not even from whence he is. And so they they despised Jesus. And would never allow Moses to be put in the background. By the Savior. And so to the Jew there could be nothing greater than Moses. They believed Moses. They trusted in Moses. And so it only makes sense that the Apostle at last brings us to the comparison of Christ and Moses. And in this chapter, that comparison is made. But the Apostle brings in a new word as he brings the comparison together between Christ and Moses. He wants to compare them In a house. And so the apostle brings in a new word here. House. And it occurs, verse 2 to 6, this word house occurs six times. So what is this house? This man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. It's the same house always occurring in the single house. What is this house? It's his house, God's house. God has a house, you know, one house. You're talking about a family. That's what a house is in the Bible a family, a community. And God has a family. God has a community of saints, a house of God that he is building, that's growing over the generations, a community of the saints, the church. There only ever was one house. It's not a case of an Old Testament house and it was burned down and God now has brought in a new house. No, it's the same house. There only ever was one house. One community of God's people. And both Moses and Christ are in that house. Both of them are related to that house. My house, God said just as we are, because he says there in verse 6, whose house are we? We are also in the house, we believers, we Christians, if we hold the fast, the confidence to the end. And so all the pilgrims of God are members of this community of the divine house. And Moses and Christ are compared in the house. We, We can't compare them outside the house. The apostle doesn't want us to do that. He's He's introducing us to the house and comparing them in relation to that. And the Bible says a lot about that house. Paul, writing to Timothy, told him you need to be a pastor who knows how to behave yourself in the house of God. He's not just talking about an individual building. He's talking about the community of the saints, wherever he goes to pastor. You ought to know how to behave yourself in God's house. Like like Moses behaved himself in God's house. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, Paul says. And then Peter says, you're all living stones, and you're built up a spiritual house. And so this is undoubtedly the church, believers. And in that house, Moses and Christ are very important persons. And Paul now is... Comparing them. Verse 2. The word in the Greek faithful is first. Who was faithful. Faithful. This is Christ. Faithful to him that appointed him. As Moses was faithful. In all his house. And the his there is not Moses. It's not Moses house. The his there is God. Because God said in Numbers that we read. My servant Moses faithful faithful. In all my house. It's God's house we're talking about. Not Moses' house. It's God's house. Christ and Moses in relation to this house were faithful to God. And the comparison is in the area of faithfulness to God. And so in verse 2 we read that Jesus Christ was appointed by God and was faithful. Just like Moses was appointed by God and was faithful to God. Who? And so we don't have to convince the Jews that Moses was faithful. They all knew that. We just have to read the Old Testament scriptures and and the the first five books of the Bible to uh, find out how faithful Moses was. He was always faithful. It wasn't easy for him to be a servant in God's house. He had many difficulties, much opposition, but he was faithful. And he led them through the wilderness because he was faithful. Paul could have went through all of those examples, but he doesn't. He just quotes what God says. He's alluding to Numbers chapter 12 that we read, and he's quoting from it. Moses was faithful in all his house. That, that's a quotation for Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron, they spake against Moses because, you see, he, he married a black woman, and they criticized him for that, and they attacked him for that, and they They spoke against Moses and began to murmur and complain. And God came down and rebuked them and dealt with them. And he told them, he says, if there is a prophet among you, I'll make known myself to him in visions or in a dream, maybe. But my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. So he's standing by Moses, being criticized by Miriam and Aaron, his his sister and his brother. It's a family feud as well as a congregational one. And God stands beside his servant and says, "This, This man of God, my servant, is faithful in every part of my house. I want you to know that. And Paul is quoting that, and he's saying, Christ is the same a faithful and merciful high priest, faithful as Moses was faithful in all the house of God. The Lord Jesus Christ then is the same in this area. There's this comparison. They're both faithful in the the divine house. And Moses was appointed by God. He called him in the bush. He brought him to oversee the house of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is appointed by the Father as well. He's the sent one. The Father has sent me. He says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Christ is appointed to the house of God as well, just as Moses was. And they're both faithful. And the Father said concerning Jesus' faithfulness, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's faithful. He stood by his son Jesus, just as he stood by his servant Moses, And he said concerning both of them, faithful. How then was Christ superior to Moses? They've just both been appointed. They've both been faithful. How is the superiority of Christ coming out of this that God has said concerning Moses? And that's what the apostle is going on to now. And one of the reasons is that he is not only an apostle, a prophet. He's also a high priest as well in the house of God. Moses, he was just a prophet. But Jesus Christ was not only a prophet, he is apostle and high priest over the house of God. Hebrews 10 verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God. And you ought to study this word house in the epistle to the Hebrews. Jesus Christ is over it as high priest as well as apostle. Moses didn't have two offices. He had just the one. Aaron was the high priest, and Moses just had the prophetic role. But Christ has both roles in his own person, and he's greater than Moses in that respect. That, however, is not the main reason that Paul is bringing out the superiority of Christ. That's not the main thing for his superiority. He's superior not because he has two offices, but he's superior because he is such a person as he can hold two offices. He's a superior person. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. He's not just prophet and high priest. And therefore he's better than Moses and Aaron. He has both jobs. So he's better. No. He has both jobs. Because he himself. Is a better person. He is a worthier person in himself. He is counted worthy of more glory. Than Moses. And the apostle is telling us why. And that's where we are now. And first of all, he is worthier than Moses because Christ built the house. Christ built the house. Do you see that verse 3? This man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some. But he that built all things is God. So it's not just that Jesus is part of the house. Moses is part of the house. Moses is laboring in the house. Moses has been brought to the house to serve in the house. But Jesus Christ, he built the house. Moses didn't build the house of God. Whenever Moses came to that house, it was already built. It had started to be well erected when Moses was brought to it. He wasn't the builder. No more than you and I are builders. We're fellow laborers together, of course. We're all building in the house of God. But the builder of the whole house is Jesus Christ. What did he say? I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. So he's not just part of the house as Moses is. He's the foundation of it. He's the cornerstone of it. He's the one who is the founder of it altogether. He's like the head to the body. That's how important Jesus Christ is. And he has built all things in relation to it. Because he's God. The divine builder. Moses did not find God's people. They already existed when he was sent to them. Christ. Found them. I find my sheep, he says. He's the founder of them. And he alone. He's the pioneer who brings them all to glory. He came for them and he redeemed them. And he reconciles the whole house to God. And he presents the whole house spotless before God. Christ is the builder of the house. And therefore he has more glory than Moses. And then secondly, Christ has this glory. Not because he is the builder of the house merely. He has a glory above the house. What does it say there in verse 3? This man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Because he has the glory of the house builder. And who's the house builder? God. He has the glory of God. You see, there's a glory about the house. There's even a glory about Moses. You Remember Moses' face, shown one time? You see, Paul is, is bringing in this word. It's not accidental that he's bringing this word. There's things going on in his mind when he brings in this word glory. He's already used this word glory a number of times. But he's thinking of Moses reflecting the glory of God. As he's serving God in his house, he goes up into the presence of God and he and the glory of God shines on him, and he goes down among the people, and he has the glory appearing in his face, and it's wearing away as the hours pass. It's going, it's fading, it's decaying because it's only a reflected glory. But Jesus Christ has the glory of God, it's not a fading glory like Moses, it's not a going away glory like Moses. No, it's the divine glory. Jesus Christ has that glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, John says, full of grace and truth. He has the true glory. As I said, Paul has already used this word. In verse 3, he says concerning Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory. That's more glory than Moses, isn't it? Because Jesus Christ not only has the glory of God, He has the brightness, the radiance of that glory is appearing in the Son of God. So he's talking about the divine glory. What did he say in chapter 2? We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He's crowned with glory and honor. More glory than Moses. Moses was never crowned with glory and honor. He had a wee reflection of it. Now, as yes, we sometimes have a wee reflection of it, we've come out of God's presence, we've been so blessed, we've felt the glory. we come out beaming, rejoicing in the Lord, but it goes away after a wee while when we mingle amongst the world again. But Jesus' glory is the brightness, and it doesn't fade. And every time we see Jesus' face, there it is. The glory of God is still beaming in his face. What did the, the Apostle John say? We beheld his glory. And so he's a greater glory than Moses. And he's bringing all of us on to glory, doesn't he? Say that in verse 10 of chapter 2. Bringing many sons on to glory. This glorious Son of God is bringing his children, this house, onto glory. So he has all the glory. And he brings us to the glory. And so Christ is more glorious than than Moses. You remember Moses, he wanted to see more of that glory. Lord, show me your glory, he said. You remember how God answered him? He says, there's a place beside me. I'll put you on a rock. I'll put you in the hollow place. I'll have to cover you with my hand and I'll pass by and you'll see my back parts. You'll see something of my glory. Moses only saw the glory And it was Christ he saw. They saw his glory. John says Isaiah saw his glory. Isaiah 6, that was the glory of Jesus Christ. Remember how Paul said, if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So Christ has the glory of God. God who commanded the light out to shine out of darkness. Have shined in our hearts. To give the knowledge of the the glory of God. Where? Through the face of Jesus Christ. More glory than Moses. We all with open face. Beholding in a glass. The glory of the Lord Jesus. Are changed from glory to glory. We're not changed by looking into the face of Moses. That's a fading glory. He had to veil himself. Lest the people of God would keep staring at him. That fading glory. You can't keep looking at Moses. He veils himself. The Jews are still trying to do that. Through the veil. But the veil has been removed in Jesus Christ. And we see the glory in his face. More glory than Moses. And that's why whenever the world ends. And the people of God are brought into the presence of God. There's no need for the sun and there's no need for the moon and there's no need for the daylight because the glory of the Lamb lightens it all. More glory than Moses, Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, Moses was only a servant in the house and Jesus Christ was a son in the house. Verses 5 and 6, what does it say there? Moses truly was faithful in all his house, that's God's house, as a servant. Verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. You see the comparison here that Paul is making? Moses is just a servant in God's house. That's all. He's told to do things. He goes about and he does things. He does it faithfully in in the community of the saints, as we all should endeavor to do, faithfully serving God in the community of the saints, in the house of God. And you can't serve God outside his community. You can only serve God in his house. You can only serve God among his people. Moses did that. But just as a servant. And there's no saving merit in it. It didn't mount to very much at the end of the day for our salvation. Nothing at all. He has no merit. He, at the end of the day, Moses, like all the rest of us, has to say, I am an unprofitable servant. Even though he was faithful, he still has to say I'm an unprofitable servant. There's no merit in my service. It won't take away your sins. It won't make you right with God. It's just for my own faithfulness to God. But Jesus Christ is different. He comes to this house as a son. Over the whole house. You remember how Paul said he's the heir. He's the heir over all things. He's spoken unto us God in these last days by his son. Whom he has appointed the heir of everything. Moses is not the heir. Moses is not the son who gets the house. And is over the house. Moses is just a servant in the house. It's the son of God who is the heir. Who owns the house. Who gets all the glory of the house. Who's going to ruin over the house. Do you Remember how the Lord Jesus said in the parable. The husband man, they saw the son and they said. This is the heir. Let us kill him. And we'll get the vineyard to ourselves. And at the end of the day Moses is just in the house as a servant. But Christ is over it all. And what the apostle is telling us. He is the only one that we can look to. The law did come by Moses. That is true. He brought the law into the house of God. It was his calling to do that. But grace. And the truth. The reality and the substance. Came by Jesus Christ. The salvation came not by Moses. The grace of God came not by Moses, but by Jesus Christ. And so the apostle is saying, there's no other savior. There's no one else. What does this mean then in closing? What does it mean to the Jews? What does it mean to Christians? First of all, obviously means that Christ and not Moses saves us. And it's not to the law that we look to be saved. But to Christ and his righteousness. Not Moses but Christ. Not law but grace. The grace of the Son of God. And so the one who saves us in the house. And you can't be saved outside the house. You can only be saved in the community of the saints. In the body. The one who saves us. Is Christ. Moses is just one of our brethren. All the same standing. All fellow laborers together. But Christ is the son over us who we believe in and trust. So he's the only savior. That's what the apostle is saying. From this we infer, secondly, that unbelieving Jews are not in the house. I need to say that again in this day and age. Of abounding error. Unbelieving Jews are not in the house of God. They're not in this house. They have cut themselves off, as all unbelievers have. They've cut themselves off from this community of the faithful. They've cut themselves off from the community of the saints and of the believing. The Saviour said that sinners will come from the East and from the West, Gentile sinners. And they'll sit down with Abraham. But the children of the kingdom. The Jews will all be cast out. Because they have separated themselves from this house. The community of the saints have been cut off. And they cut themselves off. The Lord didn't just cut them off. They cut themselves off by unbelief. And they're not in this house. They're not the people of God. It's only the people in this house are the people of God. The community of faith. The community of the the acceptance of the whole of scriptures. The community of faith in Christ and in the gospel. And so the Jews, they rejected the error. They cut themselves off and the Gentiles are coming in. And thank God there are still many Jews coming back in again too through faith in Christ. Jews are welcome back And so I'm saying there's only ever one house of God. Only ever one community of believing. And in the Old Testament, mainly Jews who were believing. But now in New Testament times, the vast majority are Gentiles. But we're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so you have to have your faith in Christ. And the Jew has to have his faith in Christ as well. And that's what Hebrews chapter 3 is all about. About the importance of faith, not unbelief. Like the Jews who perished in the wilderness. It's important that the people in the house, in the community, have faith in Christ. And then lastly, it means as Christians, we must honor Christ. We must give honor to the Son of God. We must honor Him as we would honor the Father. We must give him our faith. We must give him our commitment. We must be faithful to the Son of God. We must submit to Christ. We must trust in Christ. We must obey Christ. We must confess Christ. And we must not depart, not only from the community of the faithful, but especially we must never depart from him who is the Son of God over the community. We must never depart. This is what this is epistle, you can't depart from the Son of God. You dare not. You'll just be like the children in the wilderness. You'll perish in unbelief if you depart. And so you can't depart from Christ. You have to hold, as he says, your confidence fast and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end.